So today, as part of our podcast series, which is powered by Upside Global, we have the honor to interview Marco Nunez again, the former athlete trainer for the LA Lakers, a top NBA team. So Marco has worked for the Lakers for 12 years, and he worked with world-class athletes like Kobe Bryant, Shaq, but known as Shaquille O'Neal, as well as LeBron James. Marco now runs his own practice in LA. So Marco, welcome again on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Julian, for having me. Glad to be here. Great. So Marco, what I want to talk to you about today was first talk about your background, and then mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to get your perspective on managing your work-life balance uh, mm-hmm. when you're working for the Lakers. And then I'd like to talk about uh, what it was like for you to transition from working for a pro team to having to run your own business and your own clients. So how does it sound? That sounds perfect. Great. So uh, maybe just to get started, could you give us a recap on your background, uh, especially in the world of elite sports and what you've done with the Lakers and so on? Sure. So um, I started as you would refer to as your traditional athletic trainer. I went to school, got my under, undergrad degree in sports medicine, uh, got my license, license through the NATA, and I am your what you would think of your traditional athletic trainer. And if you don't, most people don't know what an athletic trainer is. An athletic trainer tends to majority of the time work with athletes in the sports setting, meaning at the high school level, collegiate level, uh, professional level, and sometimes even in the clinic. And if you yeah. ever watch American sports like the NFL, Major League Baseball, yeah. and a player gets hurt on the field, 99% of the time that person that runs out to see do the assessments along with their team doctors is most likely the head athletic trainer or one of the athletic trainers. Our mm-hmm. role is primarily, it's been traditionally, um, immediate care to the athlete. It also includes some rehabilitation and also injury prevention. Um, so that's kind of like the traditional role of athletic trainer. And the reason why I, I say that and I started with this is because in about 10 years or so, or a little bit longer, yeah. I decided um, that I didn't want to be that traditional athletic trainer, which where he or she just stays in the athletic training room, waits for interest to happen. Um, yeah. I, I was watching strength coaches, you know, transition to the old traditional strength coach who kind of what they call themselves performance coaches. PTs, physical therapists also started, started, started transitioning into more of a performance type of thing. So yeah. my question is like, why can't I as an athletic trainer do the same thing? I mean, we're kind of in the same realm. I understood that. I had my CSES, so I was a certified strength and conditioning specialist. I had taken plenty of certification and, and, and uh, classes and to, to allow me to do corrective exercise specialist, performance enhancement specialist. Um, and then also one of the, the biggest things that, that uh, I guess a shocker to the league itself, which kind of started maybe about 15 years ago. And one of my good friends uh, up at Golden State, I guess, became a little bit, I don't want to say a victim of it, but got caught in it with this yeah. whole sports science. Sports science blew up. Um, I know a lot of NBA teams. Who, who was it? There was the former athletic trainer for the. With the Golden State Warriors, Johan Wong. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, 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 I remember. Yeah, yeah I remember him. So he, they were, I think the Golden State Warriors were one of the first teams to kind of bring in a sports, quote unquote, sports scientist. And I say, quote unquote, because personally, I don't think there's a true definition of a sports scientist. No one really knows what, like, is a sports scientist. It's just everybody. Yeah. Kind of like, hey, you know how to crunch numbers. You know how to apply the numbers. Okay, I'm a sports scientist. Um, but they were one of the first teams that brought in sports scientists from Australia. And Australia was kind of, you, you, you got to give Australia credit. They were the, one of the leading countries to introduce sports science, wearable devices, like catapult and all that stuff. They kind of yeah. started leading the way. Um, so Golden State was one, uh, one team that brought in, once they brought them in, and I think they won, they won a championship. Every NBA team's like, oh, we got to get one. We got to get one. We got to get one. And yeah. the team started, you know, bringing in so that the head athletic trainer, which was normally in charge of everything, started kind of going down the totem pole. 
And at the time I wasn't a head out there trainer, I was insistent and I quickly realized, you know what? I need to get in the game. I need to expand my expertise. I cannot just be the athletic trainer. So that's when I, I decided, hey, you know what? I need to go into performance training, injury prevention, prehab, sports science, uh, wearable devices, and I expanded. So, you know, I, I call myself now and, and I title myself, and, and I, I, I'll be honest, you know, there is no true title to this, is I call myself a performance athletic trainer, yeah. where I can kind of expand to it. So I try to stay away from the traditional athletic trainer type thing. So that's kind of my, my background. I've got in my master's. And then in addition to uh, my master's, I got into human biomechanics because I wanted to kind of complement my, what I already have. And right now I'm in the process of getting my doctorate degree because it seems like that's the next step that everybody has, especially when you see a lot of doctor, doctors in physical therapy and stuff like that, PhDs. And I kind of want to stay in the game. Um, I want to, what I call is I want to evolve with the times and I don't want to stay behind. And I think that's something that athletic trainers traditionally um, and my colleagues, and, and I hate to say this is because I'm part of it as an athletic trainer, they tend to kind of fall back and, and not leap forward. And, and I think this is, and I'm great. I'm glad that I'm doing this podcast with you because I want athletes to understand, Hey, we need to get up there front. We need to be up with the PTs. We need to be up with the cars. We need to be up with, with we need to be in the front of the line and not just in behind. That's interesting what you just said about the, uh, the difference between a director of performance versus an athletic trainer. I mean, I work, I mean, we work with many, many teams. And I, I, I'm surprised because I typically see like the, the head athlete trainer and then a director of performance, director of sports medicine. Uh, I thought that they were kind of doing separate roles and they had equal, I guess, responsibilities or, but it sounds like, um, I mean, it depends on the team, right? The situations. Correct. And every team, especially in the NBA, um, I don't know how the NFL operates, and I, I'm not sure what the NHL and Major League Baseball, but in the NBA, if you look at every NBA team, everybody operates different. Yes, it will have a head athletic trainer, every team, every yeah. team will have a strength coach, and every team will have an assistant athletic trainer. Those are kind of the, the three standard positions yeah. that every team will have. Nowadays, you have a PT, nutritionist, dietitian, all these other ones. But the role of the head athletic trainer in every team is different you they're all different one yeah. there's some teams where the head athlete trainer is actually completely in charge of everything mm-hmm. other other teams is the head athlete trainer is not in charge whatsoever they do more administrative stuff immediate care but then you have yeah. like the director that's in charge of everything yeah I, I could see that and actually we wrote an analysis on the different types of roles in a performance medical department of the teams we explained the roles and responsibilities but i really like you said it really depends on the team because that you know, the responsibility varies greatly from one team to another and the leagues and the sports sometimes. Correct. Um, and, and 20 years ago, 25 years ago, every team, if you, it was pretty much the same. The head athletic trainer, he or she was in charge of the whole entire sports medicine um, yeah. role. And this was like 20, 25 years ago. And like I said, slowly it's been evolved where the head athletic trainer, I'll be honest, you know, I hate to say this, but it's been kind of maybe pushed back a little bit and they brought in director roles. And that's when I started noticing this and I'm like, Hey, yeah. wait a minute. I don't want to get caught in that. I yes. need to be in the front of everybody else. That makes sense. So now, you know, you work for 12 years, right. For the Lakers, a high profile organization. I'm still the stress level sometimes was very high, right. You had to be on the road every, every week, almost every week away from the family. So, uh, from a work-life balance perspective, was it, you know, um, how was it to manage your, your work-life balance uh, working for the Lakers all those years? Well, to start off with, I think the word work-life is an oxymoron when it comes to working with a professional team. There's yeah, no work-life balance. <laughs> there is no balance. 
when it comes to work life or family, unfortunately, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I did notice is that my role or my work-life balance completely changed when I went from the assistant athletic trainer to the head athletic trainer and the person completely in charge of everything and yeah. everyone in that role. As the assistant athletic trainer, I still had a little bit of freedom. I still had a little bit of work-life. I can go home. Um, I didn't get those calls. And if someone did call me, I'd be like, well, call the head athletic trainer. I'm not the yeah. one in charge. And I could pass the buck, so to speak. But mm-hmm. as the head guy or the director guy, or the person in charge, you can't do that. You're the person in charge. You're on the floor, on the on the phone. You have to be make yourself accessible mm-hmm. on the phone and be able to take calls whenever you can, 24 hours, seven days a week. Um, you, and, and I hate, you know, seven days a week. So if if you gotta go to the hospital because one of your guys got injured, then you're gonna spend the whole night with him at the hospital, right? right? Yep. Yeah, it, 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 it's basically the, the, the work becomes a priority. The home life, uh, unfortunately, becomes secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, here's the other thing, and also I'll be honest with you, is it, also, it also varies slightly from team to team. You have some high-profile teams like the Lakers, the mm-hmm. Knicks, the Dallas Cowboys, um, the New York Yankees. You know, in, in hockey, you have like the, 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 the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, yes. uh, the, the high-profile teams that there's a spotlight and there seems to be a little more of a, a hot seat, so to speak, yeah. in, in that area. Um, not to say that not every team has a hot seat, but, you know, like I said, you know, the, the, some seats are a little hotter than others. Unfortunately, yeah. it is what it is. I if, if you've got the best, player, the, the best player in the league on your team, that's a pretty hot seat right there. Exactly. And, and you have to do anything that you need to do. Um, to try to kind of kind of be able to maintain them and, and do it because not only is the front office expecting you to keep him or her healthy, not yeah. only is the player keep maintaining, keep you him and healthy, but then now you have the media and you have everybody outside type thing. And like I said, the, the seat gets pretty warm, pretty hot. Oftentimes it, it, it rarely ever cools down. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I can, I can imagine. I mean, uh, and, and the thing is the media sometimes, right. They, sometimes they're very quick. So I'll give you an example. And I don't know if I should say this, but, one of my good friends worked for one of the, the, the best, maybe the best soccer team in the world, okay, in Europe. Mm-hmm. You can guess who that is. But at the very beginning of the season, when he joined that team, uh, they had a bunch of injuries. Some really high-profile players who joined for hundreds of millions of dollars joined the team. One guy just kept getting injured. And the media of the, you know, in that league, they kept going after him, saying he was responsible. They basically called him almost like... Um, like it was the reason why the guy just kept getting injured. And then Correct. six months after that, when the team was starting to do well, the, the, the player was getting better. Then they called him like the scientist, which was almost laughable, right? Because six months ago, they were laughing at him like he was the, the reason why the guy kept getting injured. And six months after that, he was the, the savior, right? Correct. So, Correct. Um, and, 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 yeah, and, and that's the thing about it is that nowadays with social media and the media and everything, uh, you know, traditionally before it was always a coach that got criticized. You always heard about the coach, 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 you know, coach this, it's fire the coach yeah. and the coach. And, and now it, it expands to everyone, everyone else. Now it goes down to the sports medicine staff, the athletic trainers, the physios. They're also in the spotlight, especially for, like I said, for high profile, especially for high profile teams. Yes. Um, kind of goes away. They, they always try to, to, to find blame somewhere. And unfortunately, some organizations um, even within themselves, start pointing fingers at other people within the organization, which kind of sucks that you would think you would have support from everybody, but it is what it is. That's part of the, the nature of the beast. That's the business working in the professional um, level. For sure, yeah. So now let's talk about, you know, when you got out of the world of elite sports, right? 
uh, how was it to transition from working for one of the best teams in the world to having your own business, to find your own clients, manage your own clients? Now, now all of a sudden, I suppose, you're, you're, you know, you had a kind of a, a work-life balance again, right? I suppose. Uh, but oh, how no, was it? How was the transition? So, um, you know, at, at, when I first started in, at, when I was in college as a uh, student athletic trainer, my number one goal was to become a head athletic trainer and in charge of, of an organization, of a team. That was my number one goal. That's kind of what, what I was aspiring for. Once I, I got, once I received the position, um, I had, I decided, you know what, I'm, I want to stay in this position only for maybe three to five years. I didn't want, I, I had no interest in staying longer than that. I know Gary Vitti, the head of the yeah. trainer that, that came before me, he was there 30 for years, 30 right? years, right? 30 years. 32 years, correct. Yeah. Um, I had zero interest in being there for 32 years. So I'm like, I okay. just want to be here for three, five years, get my feet wet, enjoy it, have fun, and, and then move on. So I was already looking at uh, kind of moving on, you know, what's going to be my next step. I was already kind of planning to be in my next step, kind of life after sports or professional sports type of thing. And yeah. one of the things that I, I've always been interested in is being an entrepreneur, a business person. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I transition? How do I make athletic training a business? I've seen plenty of strength coaches, you know, Mike Boyle out in Massachusetts doing a business kind of platform. I've seen PTs, you know, doing a business platform. You have clinics everywhere you go. You have strength coaches, but you really don't have like athletic training rooms all around the places. You have, you know, you have performance strength coaches working at a place, which whether it's Equinox or whatever you want. And then you yeah. have PT clinics. But you don't really see athletic training rooms anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, how do I transition out of the part? But I want to transition. Now, the one beauty thing about myself, and I think I'm glad that I kind of saw this 10 years before that, is I have my strength coach, CSCS. I can do rehab specialists. I can do recovery. Um, and then you have a lot of athletes that still want to have that, that environment. They want to work with somebody that can work with, do their strength coaches, do the core, can do the rehab, yeah. do the rehab. Um, stuff like that. It's almost like you're having your own guy. And, and, and that's the other thing I noticed that a lot of NBA teams, NBA athletes, NFL players have quote unquote, their own guy or their own person that kind of takes care of them because they understand, Hey, this is my body. Yes. I have a team at the, I have a team, a sports medicine team at the facility, at the organization. Yeah. They're not with me the whole time. I need somebody. Um, and I was, I was trying to say, okay, how can I kind of continue on that part? So part yes. of my, as part of my work-life balance, I have a lot better work-life a top yep. thing. I got it to the point where I pick and choose who I want to work with. If I have the time, if I want to work with and the schedule, um, you know, from business aspect, yes, it is tough when you have a, a client calls you, Hey, Mark, can you come work with me from four to 6 PM in the evening? And yeah. I'd say, no, I can't because I have to do something with my kids or my wife yes. or my family. Yeah. Um, so it, it is tough to say no. Um, but it's one of the things I have to learn to say, no, I can't do it at the time. Um, uh, because I have balance where, with the team was, you weren't allowed to say no. Um, yep. you were at their breaking call if they need you for four to six from four to six okay i have to go there type yep. of thing so um there's a lot more work life balance so to speak or, or i would say you you have more control of your work life balance you can mm -hmm. dictate how much you want to work you can dictate how much you want to um spend time with the family where working with the team it was really dictated by the organization not by you yeah and, and if you look at your list of clients right your in-store base would you say that most of your clients are athletes? Are they regular people who want to get physical therapy? Or, I mean, what kind of, I guess, I'm just trying to get a sense of yeah. no, so the level my, of expectation. My, yeah. my clients range from 11 years old to yeah. about 
50 years old. And a majority yeah. of the clients that I work with are, are, there are some that I work with, there are several professional athletes that I work with that are currently with a professional team in the NFL and NBA. Yeah. But I also have an older population that were, were athletes themselves before. And now they have issues like injuries. Um, you know, hey, you know, when I, when I played college football, my shoulder has been bugging me forever, but yeah. they, they still want to work out. They still want to be active. So yep. what, what can you do for me? So I'll get in there and do some tissue stuff. I do rehab. I do strength and conditioning to try to get the shoulder straight so they can still go work out because they still want to be active. And that's the one thing about athletes when they, when, you know, just because an athlete stops playing after college, they're not like, you know, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to do, I don't want to touch a basketball. I don't want to touch a football. I don't want to touch a tennis racket. I'm done. No, they still want yeah. to be active. They want to continue. So we call them like the weekend warrior, the person that wants to continue because they have lingering issues, lingering injuries. So it's almost like life after sports, you're still going to do that, but they still want to be active. So that, that's a huge portion of, of my clients, professional sports athletes that are still in the profession and then young athletes that want to get to that level. Yeah. Um, that's one of the big advantages that being working in the NBA. Hey, you know what? I was there. I knew what it took. Um, okay. As a young athlete, high school athlete, what do you need to be able to get and be able to compete at the level? And, and to be honest with you, I kind of enjoy working with the young athletes because yeah. I help build a foundation for them. So when yeah. they get to that level, it helps them out. That makes sense. And, and as far as running your own business, I've got, man, I'm running my own business too. But one other thing that I think is also sometimes difficult to do is, you know, you got to manage your finances, you got to have a, a, an accountant, you got to promote yourself, you know, all those things that, you know, you kind of have to learn on the go almost yes. most of the time. So what oh, was it for you? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I'm still learning and I don't think I've ever stopped learning. I've listened, I listen to other podcasts, I listen to audiobooks and on business. On, on branding, on marketing, yeah. social media, finance, um, where do you spend your money? Where are you going to get your, your most bang for your buck? You know, do, am I going to invest on, you know, something simple as doing social media? Do you want to, uh, do I want to boost this post that I just did it? Am I going to get it? When do yeah. I want to boost it? During the weekend, on weekdays, what time, mornings, evenings? Um, you know, you, you, you die, you throw yourself into all that stuff and you kind of, you kind of go as you, you learn as you go type of thing, analytics, something simple as analytics. That's something that I've been learning. Okay. You know, you go down there, okay. Who's looking at your post, who's looking at your media, where stuff like that. And, and you do go on the go. Now as a startup, it's tough because you kind of have to do it yourself. At some point, either you have to hire somebody to help you yeah. um, to take it to the next level. So there's a little balance there that, you know, you kind of, everyone kind of figures out on their own. Okay. At what point do I need to bring somebody in to help me? Is it worth it? Do I have the money or can I still manage it myself type of thing? Yeah, and I, I completely agree. Uh, now, because, you know, the audience of these podcasts, right? So this podcast goes out to all the performance staff, play trainers of all the NBA, MLS, NFL, NCAA teams, MLB teams. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them might be looking to transition, right? Uh, and getting out of elite sports to, to do kind of what you're doing. So what advice would you give to those athlete trainers, for example, uh, you know, thinking about their post-career, after working in a professional team. Any, any best practices that you've learned over the years? Well, the one thing I will tell, tell you and I will tell them is that there is life after working with a pro team or college area. It, mm-hmm. And that's the one thing about it. That when I talk to other athletic trainers, they, sometimes they want to get out, but they're scared because they don't see anything beyond that. And, that. and the reason being is that as an athletic trainer, we, that's been the traditional war, bro, working for a team working yeah. for a college, working at a high school. That's always been the role. You know, like I said, there are no athletic training rooms out there. You see PT clinics. So even physical therapists, oh, I'll go work at a clinic. I'll open up my own clinic. Strength coaches. 
hey, I'll open up my own strength facility. I'll go work yep. for another strength facility. So most athletic trainers don't know that there's something else. All they see is this is it. This is where I'm going to be. There's yep. nothing after this. And I will tell you there is life after, after or outside the athletic training room. Yes, it's a little grind. There's a lot of grind, as you know, Julian. You have to put your grind in there as well because you, you're That's a right. person I am. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're willing to put in the grind, there is life. There's definitely life after the or outside the athletic training room. But I'm sure at the beginning, the first few months are not always easy. But once you've kind of yeah. found your rhythm, you find your customer base. Uh, right. You know, it's 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 a lot easier, right? Correct. The the one thing, I, yeah, no, it's definitely scary. The one thing I would tell uh, athletic trainers that, hey, you know what? If while you're working at with the team or, or at the collegiate level, if you can start creating what, you know, quote unquote, what people call a hustle, meaning start seeing if you can take one client in, see if you can take a second client in and yeah. slowly build up. So like, for example, for myself, when I opened up my quote unquote business, my LC was in 2016 is right when I took over as a head athletic trainer. And the reason why I did that is because I knew that I wanted to eventually get out. And I'm like, yeah. okay, fine. I, my head athletic trainer, I got this role. Now, what's going to be my next step in about three, five years? And I was already thinking three, five years ahead. I opened yeah. up my own, opened up my business. Okay, let, let me slowly start getting that ball rolling. I know that I, I knew that I didn't have the time to fully dive into it because I was working with the Lakers. That was my priority. But on the side, in the evenings, at nighttime, okay, what can I do to start building it and get it rolling? So if you yeah. are looking for life after working for a pro team, start now, slowly build up to it, and then see where it can slowly take you. So when you do leave, you're not necessarily starting from scratch. Yes, it is scary because it all it's on you, but if you have the drive and the hustle, you should be able to do something with it. And yeah, I think you once you find your rhythm and you've got your customers and, and at some point, right? I think you you could hire people, right, to work for you. So you can cool. delegate, grow your business, you know, your install base of customers and so on, right? Exactly. So I think that makes sense. Uh, well, look, these were really my main questions. So uh, uh, great insights as always. Uh, so I want to thank you for your, for your time today. It's been uh, a great conversation. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for having me. Thank you.